Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about our live stream church services, the Walk in Truth podcast, how to donate, and how to find us on social media when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Chronicles 12.32 called Understanding the Times. probably heard of 2 Chronicles 7.14. It's often quoted. Well, here's another one, 1 Chronicles 12.32. And maybe you've heard it before. It says, of the sons of Issachar, one of the tribes of Israel, there were men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. Notice the sons of Issachar identified as men who understood the times and had knowledge of what to do. This is obviously what's right before us in all of our lives. And when, whenever we're navigating anything in life, we want to understand the times and we want to understand what we should do. What do we do next in terms of this uh, unique time with this coronavirus? And if you're like me, I've been trying to keep up on the information. I've heard the medical doctors. I've heard the scientists I've read my articles, I've listened to interviews, I've watched the the debate, and sometimes there's a level of frustration. It gets a little bit confusing because you have experts arguing about the data. You have the data being questioned. There's everything from, you know, people saying the the numbers are being uh, inflated to conspiracy theories to just about everything in between. How do you understand these times? How do you navigate these times? And how do you know what you should do personally? I will tell you on behalf of the staff and the elders and pastors of Living Truth that, you know, when this first happened, we all went into a safety mode. We heard of a virus that was very deadly, perhaps, you know, what, 10 times deadly, more deadly than the common flu that kills a lot of people. That was the original, you know, some of the the reporting that was coming out. We saw the tragic scenes of ERs and Uh, loved ones dying and not even able to interact with family in their dying moments. And all of these tragic scenes, we saw Italy and we saw New York and we saw body bags, as ugly as that is. And we heard stories of, you know, people who weren't necessarily always fitting the categories of underlying health issues who seem to be succumbing to the coronavirus. And so as information was flying, businesses shut down. You know, the whole country pretty much shut down and churches went with it. And any kind of mass gathering was not wise. This is what we were being told. And so uh, everything pretty much shut down. And now it's gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks. And if you watch the news, you know, they count off the days this long and shut down, this long and shut down. And we're coming up on a couple of months uh, of this situation. And now if you've been watching reports, you know that some of the numbers are being questioned. And, you know, what is really going on? Two doctors in Kern County uh, held a press conference and they had over five and a half million views of their information. And then that information was taken off of social media. And so what in the world is going on and how do we understand these times that we live in? Well, this is why the relevance of 1 Chronicles 12.32 comes in. Because the sons of Issachar were men who understood the times. What times did they understand? 
Well, if you look at the setting, it's a little bit of a difficult chapter, but it was a time of political uh, question, and it related specifically to the raising up of David as the king. And there were other matters that they had to navigate, but there was, there was political things going on. And of course, when you read about ancient Israel, you know that the, the life of ancient Israel often coalesced with politics because you have King David and King Solomon, and you have uh, wars going on between nations. And you fast forward into the New Testament, and sometimes we feel like, well, well, maybe the New Testament doesn't really touch on these subjects. And we hear certain segments of the professing Christian faith that say the passages that do teach about government pretty much say that you need to submit to government unless they ask you to sin. And then there's other uh, uh, voices, you could say, in the ministry that have a different view. And there's scriptures that seem to ha- hold a tension between obeying God and the government and what are we to do. And sometimes you just want to throw up your hands and you're not sure who to believe, whether it's outside the church or even inside the church. Now, whenever we're wrestling with topics like this, we should be asking ourselves, what does the Bible say? Could you make a cogent biblical argument for you navigating these times. This is what we've had to wrestle with as a church. And I will tell you formally right here so that you understand that Living Truth's leadership team has decided to open up on May 31st on Pentecost Sunday, which is three Sundays from now. We've not made that decision lightly. We've made it in prayer. We've made it gathering data and we've made it wrestling with the scriptures and as iron sharpens iron in a multitude of counselors, we've made this decision. And we've made this decision with hundreds and perhaps even thousands of other California churches who will be opening up on May 31st as well. You also may be aware, if you've been keeping up with the times, that these pastors are at least talking to Governor Newsom's staff, and uh, there's interaction going on, and Governor Newsom has been asked by churches to consider us essential to move the opening of churches to phase two, which is a matter of, you know, pretty much right now and weeks away instead of phase three, which was potentially even months away. And so that's what's been put before him. There's been a a petition that's been signed by a lot of people. You can look up that petition as well and uh, by many pastors. And then there's been an appeal to the governor to move the church from non-essential, of all things, to essential. And who should determine what is essential and non-essential? Now, if you're a Christian, you know the church is essential. God calls it essential. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And what we do is essential. And it's not just whether we have a practical ministry of feeding the poor or Uh, whatever it may be, as much as that is celebrated, what is essential biblically, in my understanding, is corporate worship of our God, is the one or another commands, is us uh, giving ourselves to the public reading of Scripture, us doing Acts 2.42, continually devoting ourselves to fellowship, to the Apostles' Doctrine, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. For us to pray for one another, encourage one another, lay hands on those who are sick, anoint with oil. There's so many things to serve one another. To be the body necessitates a togetherness. Now, sometimes that's just not possible. And I will tell you that given the fact that everybody was scrambling at the beginning of this situation, let's give the benefit of the doubt to everyone who had to make a decision based upon information that was shifting and changing. 
And let's give the benefit of the doubt and say that our political leaders were doing their best to try to save lives and, and keep people safe. But now as time has gone on, we know there's debate. We know there's questions. We know we're asking questions about who should determine what's open, not to mention the fact that small businesses are suffering. Why are bigger box stores open and not small businesses? I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to revisit all the news reports. But I just want to say to you, the church is the focal point for this message. What should the church be doing? There are three New Testament passages that deal with the church and government. I'm going to ask you to turn with me, first of all, to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I'm not going to be able to do in-depth exegesis as we normally would with each passage. I'm going to touch on them. What does the Bible say about the church's interaction with government? The first one is Romans 13. Paul writes, Every person is to be in subjection, Romans 13, 1, to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Now, scholars would point out that here you have the idea of subjection to governing authorities or submission in verse 1, that authority is sovereignly instituted by God, government, family, and the church, the three main spheres. Government is God's idea to keep order. You could say that any government that is established, if it is established by God, and we just read that it is, therefore has what we would call delegated authority. That is, if the authority is given by God, then there are expectations from God of that governing, governing authority. And throughout time, if you think about some of the scenes of ancient Egypt and Pharaoh, if you think about, for example, Assyria, or Babylon, or the Medo-Persian Empire. You know what? God had something to say to these ancient uh, kingdoms and to their leadership. God humbled Pharaoh. God hardened his heart. God judged Egypt. God judged Nebuchadnezzar. He used Nebuchadnezzar, then he humbled Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he stirred the heart of Cyrus. On Wednesday night, we're going to study and this is going to be apropos, we're going to do something called Returning from Captivity, the overall series on the book of Ezra, Returning from Captivity. That's how we feel right now. And Cyrus is the king that God stirred his heart, a pagan king, to cause the people of Israel after the 70-year captivity to go back and rebuild the temple. And Cyrus says that the God of heaven stirred him to enable this to take place. So we know God does have uh, his hands in the affairs of man. And that government, when it is right, is a delegated authority. Let me give you an example that will parallel the thought. Marriage is from God. Marriage is established in the book of Genesis way back in the beginning. Not every marriage is submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we would even say that though a wife is to submit to her husband, there are times when she should not submit to her husband if he's leading her astray or causing her to sin. And so while we submit to government, government has delegated authority from God and you don't submit at all cost. There are qualifiers and these are the things that we hold in tension. But let's start out with what we do know. In Romans 13 verse 2 it says, Therefore whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Romans 13, 2, middle of the verse. 
and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Life on the go can make it difficult to catch up on your study in the Bible. If you think about it, Walk in Truth with Pastor Michael Lance is here for you, kind of like a daily supplement to help your spiritual growth. You can listen to Walk in Truth whenever you want because it's on podcast too. Subscribe to Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. For example, if you have an iPhone, we're on your iPodcast app already on your phone. Walk in Truth is also on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and many more. So listen on your hike, during your drive, or while you're getting work done at a coffee shop. Basically, listen whenever you want. Subscribe to the Walk in Truth podcast, available on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lentz, right here on Walk in Truth. If he's leading her astray or causing her to sin. And so while we submit to government, government has delegated authority from God and you don't submit at all costs. There are qualifiers, and these are the things that we hold in tension. But let's start out with what we do know. In Romans 13, verse 2, it says, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. Romans 13, 2, middle of the verse. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it, this in context, it is government, is a minister of God. That's why government, uh, governmental uh, individuals are called public servants. They are ministers of God. And if you serve in a capacity like this, this is a good verse for you to know. If you're a police officer, uh, if you serve in any kind of public serv- servant position, you're a minister of God for good, to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, that is the governing authorities, does not bear the sword for nothing. It is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. In chapter 12, Paul said, we're not to repay evil for evil. In chapter 13, he answers what we can do. We can revert to government. We're not to take personal vengeance. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. But government has that role. It carries the sword. It can bring capital punishment and the like. Verse 5 tells us why we should do this. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath for wrongdoing here, but also for conscience's sake. We should do the right thing, not just when a police officer is following us on the freeway, or uh, not just when the boss is around and we're trying to please him. We should do it because our conscience tells us to do the right thing, whether somebody's looking or not. That's Romans 13. A couple of keys. We're to be in subjection, but government's role is a delegated authority, and government's role is to promote the good and to deal with the evil. Now, that assumes some things. That assumes that government is working properly, and government doesn't start to call evil good and good evil, which, you know, throughout history, we've had times when governments have bordered on that. And in the Roman world, the Roman Caesars were pretty much dictators. 
And though we get a lot of our law from, uh, from Rome in terms of how they did trials and their Senate and that kind of thing, there were things that were definitely corrupted. Too much power in one individual like the Caesar and things went uh, wild, including under the leadership of Caesar Nero that did his share of damage to the church. Now, the next passage I want to take you to is to your right, and it's in 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2. Here is another mention of government and the role of the church as we deal with government. 1 Timothy 2. Keep turning to your right. And here's what Paul says. Verse 1. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgivings, 1 Timothy 2.1, be made on behalf of all men, for kings and all who are in authority, so that we, the church, may lead a tranquil and quiet life. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Tranquility and quietness in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of our God and Savior, of God our Savior, who, notice his desire, his desire is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator, one go-between, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. Now, this second scripture is a scripture about the role of prayer and the church being a witness to even the governing authorities. God desires that all men be saved, whether it's a king or a governor or a president. And we should be praying based upon 1 Timothy 2 for government leaders, whether we agree with them or not, whether we see eye to eye with them or not, because our main job, please hear me, brethren, our main job on this planet is not to win a political debate, but to win souls. Now, we do understand that the two are not mutually exclusive. Sometimes there's goofy arguments and extremes taken in the church where because we're the church, we have no involvement in politics. That's simply not true. You look at the history of the country, and you know that's not true. You look at the history of God using people in pagan courts and government, and you know it's not true. Daniel in the pagan courts of uh, Babylon and Persia. Nehemiah as the cupbearer of the king in the, in the government of Persia. Moses defying the Pharaoh in Egypt. And taking him on and saying, let my people go. Daniel, when there was an edict that no one could pray to the king for 30 days, or to any God except the king for 30 days, Daniel goes and prays. He defies the governmental edict. He opens his windows, Daniel chapter 6, toward Jerusalem and prays. He ends up in a lion's den because of it. But he said, no, I will obey God rather than man. And we could see this also in the three Hebrew youths earlier in Daniel 3. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, although we should know their Hebrew names. And Nebuchadnezzar wants everybody to bow down to his colossal statue. And what do the three Hebrew youths do? They defy the governmental order because they won't break the first and second commandments of the Ten Commandments. You won't. You are not to bow down. You're not to have another God. You're not to bow down before an idol. And these are in uh, very prominent world empires where the people of God had to take stands. But they also were willing to give on things that were not commandments. Obviously, they had to go 
with the flow with a lot of things. Someone like a Daniel or uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They had to give, of course, in some cases they were in captivity. They had to deal with the government of their time. Jesus was asked about paying taxes to Caesar. He asked for the coin. Show me the money. Whose image is on the coin? Caesar. Then render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and to, let's not miss this part, and to God what belongs to God. So notice the tension there. We do pay taxes. We honor the governing authorities. But we uh, ultimately, our ultimate allegiance is to God and we render the honor due to God, which is our ultimate responsibility as believers. You've been listening to Understanding the Times, Part 1 on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Chronicles 12.32. And if you'd like to watch the video of this teaching, which also includes a time of worship, you can subscribe to the Living Truth Christian Fellowship YouTube channel. Visit walkintruth.com and click on Church, or find us on your YouTube app. Hey, are you on Facebook? Well, then we should be friends. Are you on Instagram? Twitter? Well, follow us or tweet us or whatever. Anyway, we we just really want to connect with you. So search for us on whichever social media you hang out on. And we know you're on there. Don't pretend like you're not. We'd appreciate knowing who our listeners are and where you're listening from. So you can find us on social media when you search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, it's Memorial Day and it's a wonderful weekend to get away. And a lot of people do get away. And of course, in days gone by, people would be... uh, at the beaches, and a certain amount of people are still going to do that, and others may not. But we want to honor the men and women that we memorialize, and that's what Memorial Day is all about. We think about, we, we give memory to those who died in battle for our country. And I want to pause here to take a moment to tell you that there are people, uh, names that you may not ever know, who gave the ultimate sacrifice laid down their lives, shed their blood, that you and I could be free, that you and I could have a First Amendment, that you and I could uh, live in a country right now where we have a voice and we have uh, rights and privileges and freedoms that we often take for granted. And sometimes we'll have a barbecue on a Memorial Day weekend or we'll you know, have an extra day off of work and we won't even think about uh, the past and people who were thinking about you. They didn't know you. But they were still thinking about you and they wanted to keep you free. And God forbid that we would ever forget our armed uh, service people of the past and even those who serve today, our veterans and um, so many other people that we could and we should be honoring on this day. So take a moment. If you see a veteran, if you think about maybe you hear a story about a war of the past that America had to fight for freedom Uh, Make sure you, you pause and give thanks and pray over those families who have lost loved ones. Well, speaking of people who are battling and on the front lines, we think of our healthcare workers who, you know, some of the footage in the early days of this uh, virus outbreak in hospitals of them suiting up and, you know, getting ready to go care for those who were fighting for their lives, those who were succumbing to the virus, uh, some just really incredible images and some very brave people. And, you know, the statistics have come out that thousands of doctors and nurses have uh, contracted the virus as a result of being exposed to it, being on the front lines. And 
and some of them have perished from it. And uh, that should be memorialized on this day as well in this new era of a unseen enemy, as it's been described, we can't forget about doctors and nurses and other frontline healthcare workers uh, who have stepped up and and put themselves at risk and even their families. And while the numbers uh, that I've heard of them that have perished have been relatively small, still uh, paying that ultimate price for others is, is such an example of what the gospel we preach is all about. And remember, they're still on the front lines in this pandemic. So let's make sure that we pray right now for them. Father, join me in prayer, if you would. We lift up all of those who are on the front lines, thinking about our medical workers right now, doctors and nurses, epidemiologists, those who are trying to find a solution with the best of hearts, um, trying to uphold an oath that they took to protect the health of people many of whom are believers in Jesus Christ. And I pray you're covering on all of them, whether they know you or not. I pray that you would keep them safe. I pray that you would give them wisdom. We thank you for those who have helped us in our own times of crisis with our health and that of our families. And we pray that you would pour out a blessing on each of them, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for praying with us and thanks for joining us on Walk in Truth. We'll catch you tomorrow. One more thing. Walk in Truth is a listener-supported program. Your $5 donation is so appreciated. So please give your donation at walkintruth.com. And come back tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Chronicles 12.32 called Understanding the Times. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth and have a happy Memorial Day. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.